Good afternoon, everyone, and um, welcome to PFP's uh, latest podcast. Um, my name is Chris Bridges from PFP, and um, I'm delighted to be joined today by um, Andrew Stanley, Managing Director of STAX, who are our partner in offering capital loan services to our, our member firms and accountants around the UK. So, welcome, Andrew, this morning. Thanks for joining me. Uh, good, good to be here, uh, Chris. Thanks for the introduction. Um, yeah, today we're going to talk a bit about um, uh, some of the key issues that we've seen in, in capital allowances over the last couple of years and, and the work that we're doing with the guys at PFP and have been now for, I think, a little bit over two years, I believe, Chris? Yeah, for, yeah the relationship is a professional partnership with STAX, um, helping us bring you know, a really, really good quality service to, to our accountants and our member firms in, in offering capital allowance services from start to finish. It's a, a one-stop shop, as it were, from that point of view huge amount of success um, in what we've been doing. What we thought we'd do today on the podcast is we've run a number of webinars over the last sort of 12 to 18 months and they've been massively popular with a huge amount of people attending and we get lots and lots of questions throughout those webinars about, about what you guys should be looking at, what your clients should be looking for and, and how the processes work and also the legislation to Fairness Andrew is really, really complex um, just in tax in general but also around capital lines as well. So we need specialists and experts like yourselves. Um, so what I thought might be might be good today is, Andrew, if we just start off maybe just what an overview of what capital allowances are. Yeah. Um, then we'll look at um, legislation changed a few years back, how to maximise a claim, and then also the area of around sort of um, buying and selling property at the moment is something that really needs to be done properly and looked at um, quite yeah. seriously. So okay. If you just give us a brief overview then, Andrew, of what capital allowances are, I suppose. Well, well, yeah, I mean, I think maybe the, the, the question should be the, for an overview of our area of capital allowances, because I mean, we talk about our work as being capital allowance um, you know, advisors, but capital allowances are actually a much wider area than the area that we focus on, which is capital allowances on fixtures in commercial or certain types of residential buildings. Uh, and the reason why I mentioned that is that there's, there's no real mystery to, to wider capital allowances. You know, if you're out there in general practice and your clients are... Uh, investing in loose plant and machinery, everything from laves through to transit vans, and I'm sure you're adding that value to the pool, taking your writing down allowances and, and reducing your clients' taxable profits. Is, um, Andrew, is that something there then that um, a lot of people out there, you probably see the term, I say like enhanced capital allowances, is that kind of what, because I get asked that question a lot, <laughs> what are enhanced capital allowances? Oh, that's actually a completely different question, Chris. I mean, okay. <laughs> uh, we do love an acronym. We do love names on things to have no real bearing to, to what they are. But enhanced capital allowances, ECAs, are the environmental uh, energy saving plant, which you get an accelerated uh, rate of relief on, which do form part of our, our area. But in essence, we would really actually define what we're advising on and working with PFP's partner firms to, to, to help their clients uh, maximize is capital allowances on fixtures in a commercial building. Now, they, a lot of people ask me often, you know, what, what, what is a fixture? How is it defined? Well, it quite literally is anything that's fixed to a building. So if it's, if it's screwed, nailed, glued, embedded, you know, it, it, it's, it's a fixture and therefore under a substantially different set of rules to, to how you would approach a loose item of plant, especially when, when a building changes hands. Uh, there's all sorts of other dimensions to to what you should or shouldn't be advising your clients to do that you don't have to worry about when it comes to um, to, uh, to loose items. Um, so if your clients aren't involved in any form of 
real estate related activities or they're, they're not owner occupiers, then to be honest, what we do probably isn't that relevant. But if they are, then they can stand to gain or lose substantial amounts of you know, their entitled tax relief by either getting their ducks in a row or, or, or not. Um, so over the last few years, and obviously for much longer than that as a firm of other firms of accountants, we've been working closely with, with many of the, the PFP partner firms from second tier accountancy firms through to, to one man bands to help their clients who own freeholds or long leasehold interests you know, make certain that they're, they're claiming everything they're entitled to. A question I get asked quite a lot, Andrew, is what are really, and I think I know the answer to this, what are the areas or, or type of clients are looking at? So you'd be looking at any clients that own commercial property, I have long-term lease of commercial property, mm. um, residential dwelling where there's um, you know, communal space. So say if you had a, a student block of flats, you'd be able to look at sort of the lifts or the community areas there as well. Furnished holiday lets be another area. That a lot of people ask about as well. Yeah, furniture dealers seem to be very much in fashion at the moment. I think that's partly driven by the rise of the Airbnbs of the world, but also the changes to the ductibility of mortgage interest that nobody's particularly happy about. Question I got this morning then, Andrew. Airbnb, is it possible to claim if someone's doing Airbnb as a furnished holiday let? Well, the, if it's Airbnb or not, to be honest, is actually irrelevant uh, to whether you can claim. For furniture holiday letting, it's if it hits the criteria, Chris. It's right, got okay. to be... Uh, Short-term lets of never longer than 30 days, but for 105 days in total in the year, actually available for 210, so you can't have it on, a, on an AST for six months and then short lets for six months, has to be furnished, um, and then if it hits that criteria, it is a furnished holiday let. There isn't an element of choice. Okay. Now, if you hit the criteria, you are, and if you don't, then you aren't. There are you know, kind of smoothing positions, which you can, provisions where you can average out over two years. So if it's advertised via Airbnb or by a local agent or by adverts in the paper or whatever method it might be, poster in the street, as long as, long as it hits those, that criteria, then uh, the treatment of the building changes to the, under the FHL rules. At that point, not only can owners claim fixtures on, uh, sorry, claim capital ounces on the loose items, so sofas, ovens, you know, TVs and so on, which they probably don't need us to, to help with, but they can also tap into the value in the fixtures, so the electrics, the plumbing, the fitted kitchen, the sanctuary, the fire alarm, and so on. So just to rewind back to your original question, which is about what sort of buildings is this relevant for? Well, the Capital Analysis Act starts on, on, on the footing that all buildings are eligible for, um, to, to claim this relief on, on fixtures. However, there is then an exclusion for dwelling spaces, or well, they said dwelling houses, but should really be labeled dwelling space because um, this uh, dwelling space can be, uh, well, dwelling space is any space that provides the normal day-to-day -day amenities for life. So generally, it's residences and buy-to-let units. So where you can claim capital ounces on a resident residential property is when you have a true multi-unit building. So as you mentioned, block of flats, you might have 50 student apartments in there, but you've got hallways, you've got lifts, you've got a reception, you've got a gym in the basement, whatever happens to be there. Uh, that true communal space will contain items of plant and machinery that are fixtures that you can claim, whereas everything beyond the front door of those apartments is out of the picture. So we often do have people phoning us up, saying they've spoken to somebody else in our sector, as we, we do have a wide range of quality of competitors, um, who's saying that you, know, you can claim kitchens and three bedroom houses that are let to students and so on. We strongly 
believe that is not the case, <laughs> to, to, to phrase it nicely. Um, so for residential buildings, it's furnished holiday lets and the communal space in, in, in true multi-unit buildings. Uh, pretty much all other types of property um, potentially can, can be claimed on. So everything from hotels through to industrial units, pubs to, to driving ranges and so on. Also something that's worth, I think, mentioning, um, legislation changed six years ago, five years ago now. It's 2012, wasn't it? I'm right in saying that. Uh, 2012, yeah. 2014 so as well, a few years later. So there's been a change in legislation for capital houses, which um, on the back of that, PFP, we picked up more and more work because I'm sure you, you probably find them by my fairly simple questions to Andrew that there is so much legislation. That's why we need experts like Andrew and his team because it's such a complex area of tax and understanding it. Um, just want to give a brief overview of the change legislation, what it means for, for people that own commercial property nowadays, Andrew? Uh, yeah, yeah, not a problem at all. It's, it's, it's not an easy subject to condense down to a, you know, a, a brief overview. I because, appreciate that, yeah. Because, because the way it changed before, there used to be several strategies in different scenarios that you would follow, whereas now there's almost an infinite number of permutations of different statuses of vendor and purchaser. But the, the, the elements that changed was that the onus was really put back on the parties to display that they were uh, eligible to, to claim this relief and to, to effect correct protocols for transferring the, the allowances. So you have two parts to this, this legislation. You have well, two main parts, the fixed value requirement and the mandatory pooling requirement. The fixed value requirement kicked off straight away from April 2012. Mandatory pooling was delayed two years to April 14. They're all in effect now. So if you're buying or selling a building today, Chris, you need to be very much aware of what this piece of legislation requires to be satisfied. So the mandatory pooling is exactly what it says on the tin. Okay. Anything that the vendor is eligible to pool, so in effect claim, they need to pool in a period up to or before sale, um, or nobody else in the future can ever claim on that value. Okay, so if you're buying a building from somebody who doesn't even know what the words capital allowance means, you can no longer you know, brush this under the carpet, do a bit of homework after the deal's gone through, and then make a claim as a percentage of your expenditure. You're actually, the only way you can, can tap into the value is to convince the previous owner to do that. And then the fixed value requirement says that they need to transfer it to you. No easy task, actually. However, if you're buying a building, of course, the other party is motivated to sell it to you, Chris. Sure. So at that point, uh, and there's two years from when the deal's gone through to get this all sorted out, so it doesn't have to slow down the conveyance. Um, however, if you can get their agreement beforehand, then generally, whilst they're motivated to sell the building, and it's no detriment to them, you can often get their agreement to claim and transfer all the relief without too much of a, you know, a, you know, a giveaway, if you like. Um, uh, after the fact, there is still a win-win path to be tread because they would also need your help to claim it as well, Chris. So it takes two to tango in this area. Um, but within the two years after the deal's gone through, you could still approach them and propose a win-win path for both parties. But at that point, you'd have to make it um, interesting for them to, uh, to, to help you. Yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, I think the phrase that gets banded around quite a lot these days since change legislation is a case of, you know, use it or lose it almost. Yeah, and we do actually get, and I know Andrew's done a lot of work with with um, firms and accountants that I know that 
just advising on the sale process as well. And I know you're able to look at stuff and advise the counties what they should be looking for. And yeah. certainly when it comes to the paperwork, the, the elections and stuff like that, I know you've helped a lot of micro and that sort of stuff, where stuff they would never have looked at before, they'd have taken mm-hmm. granted what was on there was correct from the convention side point of view. Yeah, and often, because just jump in there, because often the starting point is that people are focused on, well, if we don't do this, then we're going to lose the carrots, if you like. However, there's a real danger that if this isn't addressed, then you'd be more concerned about the stick. Uh, by this, I mean that if your clients have inve- invested money in their buildings before they sell them, maybe, say, extending or improving, and there's capital expenditures there, you may very well have seen the invoices, the renovation expenditure, you know, you've seen invoices for £20,000 worth of air conditioning and so on, you would have pulled that value. If you then go and sell the building and don't fix a transfer value by a joint election, even if it's just a pound yeah. per, per pool, then two different parties can come knocking on the door and give you a real headache. HMRC are within their right, after two years, to come and apply the default disposal value, okay. which in a rising market will be pretty much everything you've ever claimed. So that will create a balancing charge and crystallise a, you know, a, you know, a very unwelcome tax bill on your clients. Or the purchaser, if they can find out details of what you have claimed, can refer the matter to the tribunal. And the tribunal's view generally is that they've got a, a, an acquirer who's made new qualifying expenditure. And somebody selling a building has generally sold these items at a profit. So it's very, they're likely to impose a transfer value. It's very good news for the purchaser and very bad news for your client who's selling the building. So that's the real danger. And the people may have, even 10 years ago, improved their building added the value to the pool, written it down to zero, and then just assuming they don't need to do anything at sale. And they're leaving themselves exposed to rather sharp practices from, from both HMRC and the new owners. So on that, if, if people listening have clients that are thinking about purchasing a property um, or selling a property, is there, I suppose, um, put you on the spot, Andrew, a hit list of three or four pointers for each side that they should be looking out for for their client? So if somebody's looking at purchasing the property, what are say the top three things they should be looking at? Um, mm. Apart from obviously speaking to us and getting advice. But, <laughs> um, it says three sort of things they'd be looking at. And the same if somebody's selling the property, three sort of key things you think they should look to get in order or look for? Uh, yeah, if you're buying a building, I suppose the, the main things you want to look at are, uh, firstly, what's the status of the vendor? Okay, the, the legislation only has a bearing where they're actually able to claim the relief. So if it's a government body, uh, you know, a developer holding it, it's trading stock, a you know, pension fund and so on, it's a bit more of a straightforward scenario and potentially much more beneficial to your client. Um, secondly, we were finding out, has the client already agreed to something? You know, if it's a purchase for, for an auction, for example, you generally have to sign up to terms before you start bidding. There may already be capital out selection stipulated in there. And, and the third question really to ask is, it, what did the vendor pay for the building and how long have they owned it? Um, because nowadays the majority of claims are in reference to what the person selling the building has expended on it. Now, if they've owned the building for 40 years, yes, they can look back against that expenditure and, and, and claim against it, but it's probably not going to make sense for anybody to engage in the hassle factor of negotiating terms and surveying the building to end up claiming five and six in, in relief and in old money. Okay. There's some really good pointers there. And if you're selling a property? Selling a property, general rule of thumb is section 198 all, all the way. Close off your history, start with the opening position. Even if you're not sure what you may have claimed or haven't, you can always address that later on. Um, but without that election in place, 
you, you're exposed. So kind of questions to ask, have, any, have there been any improvements to the building over the years and has anything been pulled? In which case you're gonna to need to close off the history on these. Um, how long ago did your client buy the building? Again, is it worth looking back on the, um, on the acquisition costs and potentially tapping into the value there? But also, who's in the driving seat in the deal? Okay, because you, you don't want the tax tail wagging the commercial dog. If it's very much a seller's market, well, there's a good chance that terms could be put forward saying we've claimed all the relief and you're getting two pounds, one pound per pool, at which point we can actually then come in once that's agreed and find out how much relief is there to be claimed. Now, if it's a cessation of business, say for example an SPV, you can potentially crystallise the entire pool balance in that final period and write the whole lot off in one go. Hopefully there's a couple of good tips here, but I would say to anybody that's listening or unsure, it's, it's quite simply to pick up the phone or, or get in contact with us and Andrew and his team and be able to advise and help on, on those areas, certainly. Yeah, I would say, I mean, as I'm sure everybody out there listening to this knows, um, tax is not often a great area to have a go. Um, <laughs> it's, it's very much a do or do not uh, proposition. Uh, you know, things are either correct or they aren't. Um, we only charge as a proportion of what we deliver at the end. We're always happy to have a chat, you know, to, to, to review documents, to uh, you know, to give our view on what what is or isn't worthwhile looking at. We can get a hell of a lot of information just from the address of a property. So a lot of the firms we work, especially this time of year in January, where they're probably as, as busy as we are, um, literally the yeah, the general accountants that we're working with will just fire across emails of a couple of addresses on my client owns these, these buildings, they're looking to sell this building, they're buying this building. And we can go away, within a day or so, we can get information from that registry, from the planning portal, we can go on Street View, Google Earth, we can find out who the tenants are, we can get the ownership history, we can verify what values have gone through, and we can come back and say, hey Chris, you know, this one, you might find that there's a, there's a lot to claim here, or obviously sometimes, well, there, there may not be. I know from experience that that works really well, I and mean, that's something that you know, accountants and people that I know really appreciate that, because it's no time or effort at all involved for the accountant or the client, really, at, that, mm -hmm. at this stage of the process. And we try and have quite a simple process in the way we do things um, with, with PFP and S-Tax. We kind of try and break it down into sort of seven steps where, as Andrew mentioned, we can offer free client review meetings where Andrew or his team, one of our consultants, come and chat to you. Quite often what has worked really well, Andrew, I think, is um, where maybe you'd look at one case or one property from firm first. Um, you know, essentially see how we do things, how the process works, and then I think it's fair to say probably eight, nine times out of ten, um, we've just done more and more and more work with our firm's accountants and their clients because it is a very smooth process. It's not a huge amount of effort for our accountants and the people we work with. Um, yes, there's a little bit of work involved, but we do have a, a referral fee, so there's some you know, good fees that can be made for, for our accountants as well as saving their clients tens and tens of thousands of pounds of tax relief as well. Mm. So it really is kind of a, a win-win from our, our accountant's point of view. So we kind of look at review, uh, review meeting with the clients, we call it. Andrew's mentioned, go away, do the research of the properties, um, present, you know, what your findings are, you know, which are good, which are bad, you know, which to look at, which are worth doing, that sort of thing. Um, Andrew and his team then pick everything up, um, then engage with the clients, um, do the surveys of the property, and how many Books, charts, surveys we've got now, MT? Seven. Seven. And oh, sorry, six, six rigs, one MCIOB. Okay, it's dotted all around the country. Um, Andrew and his tax then produced the report, submitted it to HMRC, clients received the tax relief. And on average, you'd say there's probably around about a three 
month process. Although there's lots of cases where sometimes you, you are reliant on, on other parties providing information, so it can be a bit longer. But as a rule of thumb, we kind of look at possibly three to four months, I'd say, from start to finish on, on looking at a property. And do you just want to touch very briefly, Andrew, on how you, you would handle the process from really sort of that surveying stage onwards, um, and what sort of report you produce and, and that sort of thing. And I think it's very important to have the right sort of report produced, I think it's fair to say as well. Yeah, we, we make, make certain our reports cover all the core bases that um, if I was a HMRC inspector, I'd be looking to, to see if we wanted to see what's the building made up of, what's the claim based on, what's the justification for the claim, I'd also want to see evidence of the of the items being claimed and some you know some some, some photographs on floor plans so I've got a flavour of what the building's like. Um, and our report contains all this data. It, it's evolved over the years. We've been doing this the best part of ten years now, now, Chris. And the times that we have sat down with the VOA when they have come and done inquiries, we've asked them, you know, direct feedback. You know, what what would you like to see? What would be helpful? Because of course we want to put forward enough information so that it can be reviewed and it can be agreed about the course to, to answer any questions. Um, we do ask that all of our partners include our findings with the tax return. Yep. So the report will cover what we found, where we found it, all the calculations, the land value calculations. It will have uh, break down the items of plant and machinery by category. It will have details of the, of the building and what its makeup is. It will have floor plans in there, photographic survey. And this all goes along with the, the return which is it first instigates the claim, which is generally going back two years for the amendment window, so that when it lands on somebody's desk at HMRC, they can look at the details and say, yeah, well, this is what we'd expect, Chris. In which case, yeah, we don't tend to get too many questions. Sometimes, of course, it's not what they would expect. It might be a very large or unusual claim, and they want to you know, check a few bits and pieces. Not a problem at all. As a firm, we work on the basis that we, whilst we are here to maximise the, uh, the benefit to our clients, you know, to, to, to claim everything that we're legally entitled to, um, we're not going to put forward anything we're not 100% happy speaking to HMRC about. And, and that's really been seen for the, for the history of the, the inquiries we've had in the past, of which the vast majority were signed off at the regional claim value. I think I'm going to steal uh, one of your favourite lines from the webinars with you, Andrew, and um, that's one of Andrew's clients once coined uh, the work and how they did put the report together as almost the Goldilocks and Capital Allowances, where you know, the report's not too hot, not too cold, positioned just right in the sort of middle, so not too aggressive and also not too shy as well, I think it's fair to say. And I've seen lots and lots of the reports and stuff that Andrew's put together, and they really are fantastic. We submit the return, and I think the inquiry rate is extremely, extremely low, I believe, isn't it? Touch wood, Chris. Um, but, yeah, it seems to be, uh, it seems to be, um, it, 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 over the years, we've seen the instances have actually decreased whilst at the same time we've been growing as, as a business. Um, I would just stress, we don't take over any authority from, from you guys in general practice. Um, all that time ago when I was in general practice, I remember the headaches of 64.8s, and they're not, they're not normally a boat you want to rock. Um, we submit our findings to the client and to you as their accountants. Okay, one, obviously, to show you what we found and what needs to go in the return. Um, but then obviously it's attached to the return and sent to HMRC. So we don't take over any sort of filing responsibilities. We can of course can review and, and uh, you know, answer any general questions you might have about when might be the best time to use the relief, how far they can carry it yeah. back, you know, is this within time for the amendment window and so on. Um, 
but we don't change any of, of your status as, as their main advisor. I think um, something just worth mentioning as well, so just come to the end uh, of the podcast in, in a few moments, is um, we are very competitively priced as well. And just want to run through the pricing and how that works, Andrew, as well? Yeah, yeah. Well, we, we don't charge any fixed fees. We don't charge any survey fees. We don't charge any, any, any fees other than a percentage of the new pool additions. So for smaller buildings where the expenditure um, either on purchase or renovation or combined is in less than a million pounds, we charge 5% of the new pool additions. So we would take a, say a partnership paying tax of 40%. We found £100,000 worth of eligible fixtures. Our fees would be £5,000. If they're paying tax of 40%, the overall benefit to them over time would be 40. Um, for larger properties, a million pounds plus expenditure, we charge 4%. And if it's a long way north for that, well, then it comes down to a bit of negotiation with the client. Uh, and there's also um, a fee um, to be counted in as well, I believe it's 10% of... We pay a 10% referral fee, which is purely there to, 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 to compensate our partners for the fact that they've spent a bit of time speaking to the client. We will need a bit of information from them as well, you know, rental figures, confirmation of capital expenditure since purchase and so on. Um, so that's there just to, uh, you know, and then, but then there, Chris, we're all in business, aren't we? True. I mean, hopefully that that's... Um Given everyone that's listening a, a fairly brief overview of capital allowances, um, change legislation, the process, and, and how we look at doing things at PFP and in partnership with S-Tax. Um, if anyone does have clients any commercial properties, looking to buy or sell, or listen to this podcast, as you know, maybe trigger that, that light bulb where you, you think of someone that may be relevant, we'd be delighted to talk to you. And if you'd like to talk to us just to get advice or have a chat, um, please feel free to get in touch and um, I think the best uh, details would be the, the phone number to get in touch would be 0345 307 1177 or if you wanted to email in it would be inquiry at pfp.uk.com and we'd be more than happy to, to speak to, to anybody out there and um, I think we, we've probably uh, rattled through that fairly quickly, but also conscious of dragging on, Andrew. So I'd just really like to thank Andrew for taking the time, um, you know, seven days, six days before self-assessment window. So and Andrew and the team are really busy this time of year as well. So thank you very much, Andrew, for, for joining us Nice, it's been a pleasure. Today. Thanks for... Uh... And um, thank you very much to, to everyone for listening. Yeah, uh, thank you very much. Hope we speak to you soon. Cheers. Thanks. Bye.